It's not every day that I can sing with my oldest son and my oldest grandson. Maybe if we went out on the road, we could be called the three G's, you know, the three generations. I don't know. Good to be here this morning. The title of my message is The Next Great Event on God's Prophetic Calendar. And my text is Revelation 4, verses 1 to 4, as well as a few other selected verses. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds so that we might understand the truths that you have for us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're nearing the Advent season when we recall the coming of Jesus as a baby born in a manger. And we look also to the future, for his word has said that he is coming again. And Bible prophecy has become a much more relevant topic in recent years. Most everyone is aware of what is going on in the world and here in America. And it makes you wonder, how long will God wait before his judgment falls? My father was a prophetic scholar, and I recall the many prophetic conferences we had uh, beginning in Evan Junction, Michigan in the 1950s. Can I be that old? Back in 59, as a young lad, I vividly remember Ray Martin's 4 by 24 foot chart uh, spread across the front of the church, outlining the seal, trumpet, and bowl judgments of the book of Revelation. And I remember our pianist, Mrs. Zeno, playing John W. Peterson's great gospel song, Jesus is Coming Again. As we sang, marvelous message we bring, glorious carol we sing, wonderful words of the King, Jesus is coming again. And then at St. Paul's in Cloquet in the 1960s and 70s, I recall many of the prophetic sermons that my dad preached and the prophetic statements he often made, including the rapture is the next great event on God's prophetic calendar. If you study or if you're a student of the Bible and end times prophecy, you might remember in the first chapter of the book of Revelation, the Apostle John was told to write three things. Therefore, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after these things. And so John wrote about the things which he had seen including a dramatic vision of Jesus Christ and seven various types of churches. And he wrote about the things which are, the now for him, which is also the now for us, for today we are still presently living in the church age. And yet one day the church age, the age of grace, will end with the rapture. And that great event will usher in what is uh, what will take place after these things. This morning I'd like to consider a short passage from Revelation chapter 4, where we read in verse 1, Therefore these things, or after these things, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard, like the, tr- the sound of a trumpet speaking to me, said, Come up here. And I will show you what must take place after these things. And you'll notice that after these things is mentioned twice in this verse. And I believe it means after the church age, the age of grace, after the raptured church has arrived in heaven. 
And clearly what must take place after these things, after the rapture, was a mystery that was revealed to John. And by the way, a mystery in the scriptures is not something that is difficult or impossible to understand. It is a once concealed truth disclosed by divine revelation in the word of God. And we'll talk more about biblical mysteries a little later. Then in verse 2, immediately John was in the spirit and behold, a throne was standing in heaven and one sitting on the throne. John in the spirit was immediately transported to the throne of God in heaven. And this is what I imagine the rapture to be like. The trumpet will sound and believers will meet Jesus in the air, immediately being transported into heaven. But remember, believers who have fallen asleep in Jesus, that is the dead in Christ, will rise first. And they, in their glorified resurrection bodies, will also immediately be transported into God's presence in heaven. Apostle Paul describes all of this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where he says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. Verse 13. You see, there were some in the church at Thessalonica who were uninformed about the fact that the dead in Christ had merely fallen asleep. The moment a believer takes his last breath here on earth, his spirit and soul are ushered into glory. And it's as if his physical body buried in the ground one day to be resurrected is merely sleeping. Paul continues, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, this is the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Verses 14 and 15. You see, when Jesus comes again in the clouds, he will bring with him the spirits of those who have died in Christ and have been with him those days or those years in heaven. This brings up an interesting question. If a believer is already in heaven after he dies, why does his decaying body need to be resurrected? Paul answers that question in 1 Corinthians 15, where he says, Our earthly body, sown, that is buried in the ground, is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, a result of sin. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, again, because of sin. It is raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body, verses 42 to 44. Paul then added in verse 50 in the New Living Translation, he says, What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. You see, to live forever, believers must have, and they will be given, a spiritual body like unto Jesus' resurrection body. 
You may recall Jesus' post-resurrection appearance where he walked through a doorway without opening the door. And yet his disciples could see his crucifixion scars. They could physically touch him. And he could eat and drink and talk with them. How awesome is that? To walk through doors and not even have to open them. Then Paul concludes in 1 Thessalonians 4 when he says, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Verses 16 through 18. You know, in light of eternity and life after death, are there any words more comforting than these? That we will live together with Jesus forever. But there's more. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep. Verse 51. There's that word mystery again. A biblical truth that was once hidden, but has now been revealed. And the mystery is, not every born-again Christian will die physically. When Jesus returns, millions of believers will cheat death. You know, my father believed in the rapture. He preached about the rapture. And he often said, I'm not looking for the undertaker. I'm looking for the uppertaker. And one time a funeral director there in the Upper Peninsula asked him, if he had a cemetery plot. And he replied, why would I own a piece of land I don't intend to use? Well, as it turned out, 22 years ago, he did need a cemetery plot. And don't you know, we had to pay for it. (laughs) But nevertheless, he still wins in the end, for the dead in Christ will rise first. Paul then continued in 1 Corinthians 15 saying, We will not all sleep, that is, pass away, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, there's that trumpet sound again, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. And that change will take place for both the resurrected and the living saints. And so John wrote about the things which he had seen, a vision of Jesus Christ and the seven churches. And he wrote about the things which are, the now, the present church age, the age of grace. But the things which are will end when Jesus comes at the rapture. Right now, we are living in a transitional period between the first time Jesus came to earth some 2,000 years ago is first advent as a baby born in a manger in Bethlehem. And the second time he comes, his second advent, when those living who are born again, the dead in Christ, and the dead in Christ, believers sleeping in their graves, will be destined for the meeting in the air and heaven bound immediately after that. The meeting in the air, that's an old southern gospel song. Maybe some of you have heard that. But interestingly, The Old Testament prophets saw a Messiah coming in power 
and great glory. They saw him ruling and reigning. In the book of Daniel chapter 7 we read, His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom shall not be destroyed. Verse 14. But then the very same Old Testament prophets also saw a Messiah coming who would suffer and die. They pierced his hands and his feet, Psalm 22:16. He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, Isaiah 53:3. It seems that one could become easily confused and think that these Old Testament passages were describing two different messiahs. And for a long time, the Jewish rabbis actually presented this two Messiah theory. Nevertheless, they did not, or they could not see the church age, the age of grace, nor could they see the rapture of the church. We learn of these truths only from what the New Testament prophets had to say. And as New Testament believers, We know that these Old Testament passages speak not of two messiahs, but of two appearances of one messiah, he being the Lord Jesus Christ, whose first advent we celebrate and whose second advent we anticipate. You see, the New Testament prophets, primarily the apostles Paul and John, make it clear that there are two phases of Christ, the Messiah's second coming. The first phase will take place at the rapture. Jesus will not at that time set foot on the earth. He will meet his church in the clouds, as the Apostle Paul, the New Testament prophet, explained. The second phase will take place after the rapture and after the seven-year tribulation, when Jesus will return in power and great glory as King of kings and Lord of lords. You know, if my father... We're here this morning. He'd be shouting, hallelujah, hallelujah. That's the way he was. Interestingly, according to the prophet Zechariah, on the day of his coming as king of kings and lord of lords, Jesus' feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in the front of Jerusalem on the east, Zechariah 14.4. And that means that Jesus will descend to the earth, to the very place from which he ascended to heaven, just like the angel told his disciples. This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Acts one one eleven. Now, regarding the rapture, the first phase of Christ, the Messiah's second coming, I'd like to ask another question. Why do you think God will use the rapture to remove his church from the earth? I believe there are at least three good reasons. First of all, the rapture will be used to fulfill a promise that Jesus made to his disciples. He promised to come again and to receive them as as well as his future disciples, his bride, the church, unto himself. You remember what he said in John chapter 14. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again 
and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Verses 2 and 3. And so God will use the rapture to fulfill the promise that Jesus made. And secondly, the rapture will be used to remove Christ's church from the earth before God's wrath is released on the earth. And remember, at the rapture, the bodies of the dead in Christ, whose spirits are already with him, will be raised first. And then all living believers will join them in the clouds to immediately be carried away into heaven. And so all believers will be in heaven with Jesus when the tribulation begins on the earth. Now there are some who teach that the church will go through the tribulation or part of the tribulation. I don't see any evidence of that in the scriptures. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 and 10, Paul writes, For God has not destined us for wrath, but for obtaining salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we will live together with him. Does that not say believers will escape God's wrath? And whether we are awake, that is, still living when he comes, or asleep buried in the tomb, we will live together with him. And then in Titus 2.13, we are instructed to be looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. That's the blessed hope. You know, I tell you, I'm not looking for the wrath, uh, the wrath of God during the tribulation. I'm looking for Jesus at the rapture before the tribulation. Now, Revelation 4.3, part of our text, indicates that God is presently in heaven and his outward appearance is like that of precious stones. The, the NIV says, And the one who sat on the throne had the appearance of jasper and ruby. And the rest of the verse states, A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Clearly a storm is brewing on the earth while there in heaven an emerald, emerald rainbow encircled the throne of God. If you recall, the first ever rainbow appeared to Noah as a symbol of God's promise to never again destroy mankind with a flood. And the emerald rainbow around God's throne likely indicates that his promises are indeed immutable and eternal. And so God will use the rapture to fulfill a promise Jesus made. He will use the rapture to remove his church from the earth before his judgment falls. And thirdly, God will use the rapture to make a glad reunion for the saints a reality. Revelation 4, 4, the final verse of our text tells us, Around the throne were 24 thrones, and upon the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. We should note that nowhere in the book of Revelation are the 24 elders specifically identified. However, they most likely represent the raptured saints. They sit on thrones, suggesting they reign with Christ. For believers are repeatedly said to rule and reign with him. They are dressed in white garments, symbolizing the righteousness imputed to believers the moment they are saved. 
And the golden crown each of them wears is is the victor's crown awarded to those who have fought and won the battle. The believers of the raptured church are gone to heaven, the place prepared for them by their Savior and Lord. You know, think about it. Most believers have family and friends among the dead in Christ already in heaven. I have loved ones there. You probably do as well. And what a glad reunion the rapture will make possible when we are reunited with those loved ones. In closing, when is Jesus coming back for his church? I don't know. You don't know. Nobody knows. Only the Father. And that's another sacred mystery yet to be revealed. The rapture is the blessed hope of the believer. We're living in an evil and a depraved world that's not getting any better. And one day, our Heavenly Father will say, I've had enough. Son, go get my children. And Jesus will come back. If the rapture were today, would you be among the missing? That's another good gospel song. Will you be among the missing? Or would you be among the ones left behind? After all the believers disappear from the earth, I'm sure there will be many who will know exactly what has happened. And others will flock to the churches that preach the truth of the word of God, looking for answers. But it will be too late. Back in the 1970s and 80s, our Southern Gospel group, A New Song, often sang Lanny Wolf's heart-wrenching song, One Day Too Late. After I close in prayer, Mike and Mandy, two of the Franz and Canaan kids who grew up singing with a new song, will share that Lanny Wolf song for you. Where are they, by the way? Did they leave? Okay. I probably would try to sing it myself, but I don't know how that would go. Heavenly Father, your word tells us that Jesus is coming again. And I truly believe his coming is soon. And if there is anyone here this morning who is not saved, it's time for them to act. A. Acknowledge their sin. C. Confess their sin. And T. Trust Jesus to forgive their sin. Your word says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If anyone here this morning feels the need to take that step of faith, we trust that they will take it and be ready for the rapture. In Jesus' name we pray.